All right, guys, so we got a little something different today. I've got a bonus episode I'm putting out right now. So if you were following this podcast before I joined the Redfish Network, you probably heard this story that's coming up on this podcast. This is a rerun. It's a bonus episode. It's the replaying of the crappy trip episode. Hope you guys enjoy. Here's that episode. You're listening to the Empty Stringers podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish, and we have a lot to cover this week because anytime I have a guest on the program, like I had last week with uh, our buddy Drew Turner, it just means I had a whole lot of fishing that uh, I did not get to talk to you guys about. So we got to do some catching up. I promised a funny story last time uh, we spoke and I did not envision that I would go make uh, a funny story. I would go live through a funny story and then get to tell you about it. But I, I did just that. So the funny story I was planning on telling you, I'll have to wait, kick that one down the curb because that's something funny happened last week that we're going to get to uh, here in just a minute. But let's start off with the blocking and tackling. What are the redfish doing? What are they eating? What would I do if I was going to go out and fish uh, this weekend? We're going to get to all that. So redfish are still in the way back areas. They're still eating shrimp. Now, the tide, it came up with with that storm surge. It got up to about three feet over normal, which is pretty good. It's a pretty big swell. Uh, it got way back up into all the places, but then it fell out. It was stayed high for the two or three, four days after that, but it slowly started working its way back down and ended up being back to our typical low tides that we've been dealing with where we had a high tide. Our high tide was somewhere around 1.2. Low tide was somewhere uh, in the you know, 0.3, 0.3 area, something like that. Now, that was two weeks ago. The water level has been coming up consistently. I just looked this morning, our high tide at the Galveston Rail Bridge was somewhere around the 1.8, 1.9. That's good stuff. Uh, it's come back up and we're we're having water consistently stay back on the flats. That's both good and bad. Here's why. I'm going to muddy the waters here, but I I wanted to talk about mornings versus evenings. So if I had my choice, if you're going to go out this weekend, I would fish the morning versus the evening. Here's the trade-off. In the morning, you have cooler water temperatures. You have flats that have basically emptied overnight, a late into the evening before, and then they filled back up with water. Okay. So that's 
newer cool water that's moved up onto the flats. It is not warming up until the sun gets nice and hot on it midday. So you've got a concentration of shrimp up on some of these back in these back lakes in these back areas of the marsh. If you fish that incoming tide in the morning, you get way back in the back as shallow as you can go and you find a decent number of shrimp and you got to pay real close attention for the shrimp. The really little ones are going to look like little raindrops scattering off across the water. The bigger ones are going to start to hop and the really dinner plate size ones, those those are, are going to be a little tougher to spot. Um, and, and we really don't care about those as much anyway. We want the little ones. The little shrimp, that's what fires up the redfish and makes them, makes them go nuts. So uh, that's what we're looking for. You can still have success in the evenings because you're catching a really fast-moving falling tide. And that is just going to be good. I've, I've had some really warm water temperature and if the tide is falling really well, then it can be good. So don't shy away from it. But if you're just looking at the logistics of it, you've got water that's been boiling up on the flats all day. It is in some instances 94. I clocked it at 94 degrees uh, around noon uh, this past week. 94 degrees. And that's not even at the heat of the day. So, I mean, maybe it's getting even a little bit hotter than that way back up on these on these flats. And then that hot water is falling out. Um, and so if you're going to fish the outgoing tide, I don't know that I would go as far back as I would normally. Um, it, you just got to kind of mill around and see what's happening. But the, it's those fish... I just don't, I don't know how hot is too hot. I have seen them in the back schooling tails up in eight inches of water with 92, 93 degree water temp. It doesn't happen very often. It doesn't happen very often, but it happens. So you got to play it by ear and you got to go look around and just see what you can find. Uh, incoming or outgoing, I'm going to fish the incoming in the early mornings. That's what we're dealing with right now. We got an incoming in the morning. It's doing that slack tide thing, hitting around, you know, depending on where you're fishing in the West Bay area. Uh, in, you know, West Bay, we're looking at slack tide anywhere from 8 a.m. to 10 a.m., uh, depending on how far away from the bridge you are. So, I'm going to fish the incoming because I've got cooler water. I think I've got a better chance for schooling fish. I'm finding areas that are heavily concentrated with shrimp. Now, there are other areas that are going to still hold redfish, but they're going to be harder to make them eat, and they're not going to school because they don't have as many small shrimp as other places. I've got three places right now that I know the redfish are schooled up, and all three of those places have one thing in common. They have lots of small shrimp. They have some bigger shrimp mixed in, but the small shrimp is what's really getting the redfish together and getting them fired up. So you got to look for those areas. Uh, they're not all, you can't just, you know, I, I like to say, look, if you're, if you're in a back area and it's just not happening, go look in a different area. Don't spend your whole time 
uh, plucking around in an area that uh, that isn't doing it. You should be, if you're out there in the early morning, you should be hearing the toilet bowl flushes. You should be seeing the eats up against the grass. Uh, flounder have been flipping out of the water, uh, chasing baby shrimp. If you're seeing those flounder do that, those flounder are keyed in on the small shrimp as well. And there are going to be redfish in the area. So you're in the right place. You can grind out in a place like that. But uh, if you're not seeing any of that, if you're just seeing a bunch of mullet, um, then you need to you need to go find another place. So that's what I would do. We're getting close, guys. We're getting close to things cooling off. It's not going to be that much longer. I looked at the Hitchcock, which is where my Bayou Vista Hitchcock area, which is where my place is down on the water and we've got some high temps in the 93 uh, degree area air temp uh, for this coming week and next week so that's encouraging it's below 100 that's good so we also have a rising water level so the fall tides are starting they're going to start with this moon cycle coming up we've got a full moon uh well, today is not the day. I'm recording this on Monday, and I'm trying to see when the full moon is going to be. And it looks like uh, the moon is going to be full on Thursday, which is when I'm going fishing. So we'll see how that works out. But this moon cycle uh, is going to have some bigger tides, but I think the water level is going to come up and it's going to start to stay higher uh, instead of dipping back down in the middle of the moon cycle. So we'll see. I'm uh, I'm excited for some more water to fill those back marshes and for the temps to come down a little bit because it's going to stabilize uh, the fishing back there and it should kick off another hatch of shrimp. I saw the first snowy egret um, chase. Well, I shouldn't say that. It was the second time I've seen snowy egrets chasing redfish schools this time of year saw one uh back when i was out with my buddy will uh they were in a back lake along a shoreline there was four egrets chasing a school that was the one where uh old boy parked his skiff on the other from the other back lake and hopped out on the bank that we were about to fish and caught a, a fish off that school so uh that happened and then this past week when i was out with um my buddy terrell we saw one lone egret uh, chasing a school of what was probably just two fish, maybe three. Um, so it's starting to happen. The egrets are about to play more of a role in what's going on. And the least turns are there. They're showing up. They are spotting fish. You have to know what they look like when they spot a school of fish. Uh, if you see birds just sporadically kind of covering an area and they're not focused in on one spot, then that's not, that's really not what you're looking for. That means there's a lot of bait there and there's probably fish around, but it doesn't, it, it means they're not schooled up. They're not doing what you're looking for them to do. That least turn will hover about, uh, 10 to 15 feet above the water and they will look down uh, and look up and look around like, is anyone else seeing this? And then they look back down at the school and they stay focused in on this area. And you may see them move two or three feet over and they're following that school. Uh, some other bird is going to come and steal that school from them, 
could be a seagull. It could be uh, an egret. You'll notice a lot, a lot of those uh, least terns are identifying schools of redfish that are up close to the grass. At least that's going to be the pattern when the water level comes up just a little bit. So we are right on the cusp of it really kicking off, but I can't complain. Um, I was just looking through, um, you know, mentally taking a, uh, you know, a, a recounting of the trips that I've had lately. And there's only been, I want to say there's only been one trip in the past six trips I've had that we haven't chased schools of redfish. It's been on and they've been big schools. They've been fired up. Uh, it's just, it's just going off in certain areas right now in West Bay. So I can't complain. Fishing's been great. And, uh, I'm hoping that it continues just a steady stream right on into the fall. Uh, So let's talk about some of the trips I've had. Uh, Chris and I went out and we had noticed that there was a particular area in this marsh that had the most shrimp. And I think the reason it had the most shrimp is because it was fed by uh, a couple of pretty uh, deep pockets uh, of areas that have a lot of water flow coming through. They're not necessarily close to those areas, but they are fed uh, from these two main areas, and the bait was just flushing into these areas. And so a lot of shrimp has been living in this back area, and it's probably the the place where I've seen the most schools of redfish. We started out there one morning. It was dark. I've been getting out to the marsh before it gets light. Uh, I'm shutting the motor down right as you can kind of see around and see what's going on, but just barely. And we heard, it was very calm that morning. We heard uh, a school of redfish going nuts. We didn't know where they were, and it was super foggy. So... We, uh, we started polling in the direction of the noise that we heard and came upon one of the biggest schools I have seen in a good while. This fish, this, uh, this school was over 100 fish strong, and uh, they were losing their minds. So Chris and I doubled up on that school, uh, re- released those fish, and they had split. There was another... Uh, school about 50 yards behind them and then that that school that we had just caught fish on they split so they were now in two separate schools so we had three schools of fish going off within our vicinity at the same time we chose to chase down the school that we had not picked on yet Uh, caught fish off that school moved a little further down there's another school of fish Uh, that's the school that we were on that I took the video and uploaded it to the TikTok and Instagram. So if you saw that video, uh, it's I have the GoPro mounted on, on the chest mount. It's of me setting the hook on a redfish, and then I crawl off the platform and the, and the video goes out. But Chris had thrown a wake bait at the school. He threw it right out in front of them, put it right on their nose. They completely ignored it. Uh, I also had... Terrell throwing a popper fly and it was hard. He got eats on it and they were awesome eats, but 
It was not automatic. It was hard. The topwater bite is, especially in the Galveston area, it can be it can be all right, but it's just not the most effective way to catch fish. If you told me, hey, uh, I want to go out and, and get, you know, three of the most amazing bites I can get, yes, put a topwater on. If you if you come to me and say, look, I want to go catch the most redfish I can catch in a day's trip, then I'm not I'm not even going to bring a topwater on the boat. We're going to fish with paddle tails because, or we're going to throw uh, a subsurface fly that's a shrimp imitation pattern or a dark colored fly because the the topwater just got ignored. So when he he pulled that wake bait across the front of that school, it didn't completely spook them, but it broke them up. So you had some of the fish wandering off to the sides. And then there were about three or four fish that stayed together and they're still moving in a straight line. I threw my first cast at a wandering fish. I couldn't get him to eat. So I reeled in in a hurry and I threw back at that three or four, the group of three or four fish in the lead and hooked one of those fish. That's what that video was up. And so we chased, uh, was it one, two, three, four, five? We chased five schools of redfish before eight o'clock in the morning. The action started to die down and it started to get hot. There was no breeze. I said, man, let's go try something new. I want to go to a spot that we have not been. And uh, Chris, I'll tell you what Chris is about. Chris is about catching fish. And he knew that we were in an area that had a lot of redfish. And Chris never tires of catching redfish. You catch 80, 90 of them in a day, and he would still want to catch more. But I was like, look, I want to go find uh, another area where, you know, we can go get on them. And I knew he was not, (laughs) he was not game for that plan, uh, but he acquiesced. He acquiesced and and, uh, off we go. It's a pretty good ride from where we were. So we get over to this new spot and turns out the water is a lot clearer in this spot, which was kind of unexpected. And as soon as we round this corner, there's two redfish uh, off the bow of the boat. Chris nails one of them, hooks up. He gets up on the platform, pulls me around that corner. I hook up uh, and we proceeded to trade uh, turns on the bow of the boat and catch six or seven more fish. We caught a dozen. Uh, we had caught a dozen or more redfish that day. Uh, just had a great trip. The next trip, uh, which was the next day, I think. Yeah, I think it was the next day. I had my buddy Kyle uh, out. He is a singer-songwriter friend of mine. When I play shows, a lot of times I'll do song swaps with... Uh, with Kyle and uh, we had just got done opening for Roger Craiger a couple of weeks ago. So Kyle comes down, they're staying at my place in by Vista. We go out fishing. There's this one school of redfish that uh, in, in this particular, you know, two mile radius that if nothing else is happening, I know that this one school of redfish is going to do their thing around eight, eight thirty every morning. It's like clockwork. Uh, it, nothing seems to affect them too much. They've been doing the same thing 
for the past month. And uh, so things weren't really popping off that morning. So I kind of worked my way over to where that school was going to be. We saw uh, we saw some crawlers. Uh, we saw one small school, and the, uh, they they broke up on us. We didn't get anything off of that. End up catching a single off of a uh, a point, and then worked our way towards where the school was going to pop off. And sure enough, around eight, I think it was eight fifteen in the morning, school breaks loose. I pulled him up on there. He hooks uh, he hooks a redfish, and uh, then we went around and chased uh, chased some other areas and did some scouting and had a good trip. Right, so I did a lot of that scouting because I knew that I had a paying customer getting ready to come on the boat, and it was the next day. So I fished with Chris Thursday, fished with Kyle Friday, and then uh, my good buddy Mark, who if you have one of the Empty Stringer Podcast stickers, that sticker came from Mark. Mark is the one that made those stickers. He's a good angler. He wanted to bring his son out. I don't do kid trips normally, but for Mark, I was like, yep, absolutely. Uh, if we need to go buy some live shrimp and, and do the pop and cork thing, you know, we'll do that. I want, I want, I wanted his son to have a good time. So let me preface this uh, funny story with, you know, I'd mentioned that my buddy Kyle's down, his wife, kids, I've got my wife and kids. We're all at the at the house in Bayou Vista, and you know Kyle and I fish Friday morning. Uh, we lay low during the day. The, my wife shows up with the kids. Me and Kyle go to the grocery store and we get steaks. And uh, I actually kept uh, a couple of redfish for dinner, which I hardly ever do. And um, and so we've got redfish on the half shell. We've got steak. We've got. Uh, you know, tequila and bourbon and shrimp and uh, potatoes. And I just, I'm telling you all this so that you understand, like we ate and drank like kings on Friday night, okay? Now I've got a trip Saturday morning. No big deal. Went to bed halfway decent time. I am not someone who goes to bed early, just because I have something to do that's early the next morning. I just don't, I don't live like that. I just, I just tough it out. So I normally am in bed by 11, somewhere between 11 and midnight. And went to bed Friday night, got up to do the normal routine Saturday morning when I got a trip, getting everything ready, putting everything in the boat. And uh, I did not get to have coffee because... Uh, the Kyle's family staying upstairs and I'm me and my family are downstairs in what, what I call the captain's quarters and it doesn't have a kitchen or anything. So we, the coffee maker is upstairs. So I'm like, well, I needed to go to, uh, the gas station to get ice for the cooler. So we can put our drinks in and stuff like that. So I, I'm like, well, I'll get coffee when I'm there. I go to the gas station. This gas station coffee was, uh, it was, it was rough. It was like in one of those bun, bunomatic uh, makers. It looked like it had been cleaned like ten years ago. And I don't really mess with that stuff because I have a sensitive stomach, and I'm like, I don't need to chance it, right? So what I did was I got a vitamin water. 
I had never had a vitamin water before, but I thought, well, it's got vitamin B, B12 and all that stuff. Maybe that'll give me the right kind of kick in the pants that I need to get going this morning. Did not think it would cause any issues. Hoovered it on the way back to the house uh, and loaded everything. Hop in the boat, go pick up uh, Mark and his son at Louis Bait Camp. And we set sail. Off we go. So my plan for this kid trip was I really wanted to put them on a school of redfish. And I know these redfish that are going to break off at 8, 830 in the morning. I know. I mean, I pretty much got them all named by now. I know where their mailbox is. Like I'm like, this is going to be my safety net. So I'm going to go hang out in the area and pull around some islands and do some things and like wait on this school to break loose. And if we have one of those crazy mornings like me and Chris had, even better. But if we don't, I'm going to be able to get them on this, at least this one school of redfish when we're done catching a fish off that school and we get to see the the fish schooling and it'll be a cool thing for, for the kid. Uh, and then we'll go get some bait when it starts to warm up and we'll do the pop and cork thing and finish it, finish it off like that. Right. That's the plan. I'm not, uh, I'm not using the boy's name because I, you know, parents can be weird about that. I want to keep his anonymity intact. Uh, my wife doesn't even like that. I use, um, that I use our own kid's name on the podcast. But, uh, anyway, so he's throwing, the artificial lures, throwing a paddle tail. And he starts to get bored with that, so he just starts hanging his lure over the side of the boat like and watching it swim in the water, you know? Um, and a flounder jumps up, grabs it, and the fight's on. And so he catches a flounder, super cool, made the morning. Mark had a redfish on, uh, lost him, and uh, no, he caught that redfish. It was the next one that he lost. And uh, But while I'm polling around, so we got a flounder uh, that we've caught, and then Mark had a redfish on that he lost, and I'm seeing some action near this island, and I get hit with this pain in my stomach. And it's one of those pains that you're like, oh, no, uh, that that's not... That's usually like a, a warning shot, you know, like that's not good. And I just kind of, you know, grin and bear it and and you'll push through this first, you know, little uh, little pain that I have thinking hopefully that just goes away. And that was, you know, kind of a, a weird little fluke. Well, I'm pulling along and it's been about a minute and a half, two minutes since I had that pain in my stomach and I get hit with uh, my second contraction And it about doubled me over on that platform. Like, I'm like, oh, no, like my stomach is hurting bad. And uh, so I pushed through that one. I I just kind of spoke it out loud like, oh, man, my stomach's killing me this morning. You know, just try to just just let everybody know what's what's happening. And uh, by the time the third contraction hit, uh, I had... You know, I had to exercise some uh, some sphincter control, and realized I'm in a I'm in a little bit of a pickle here, and this has never happened before with anybody on the boat. But I think I got to find a place to go to the bathroom, and so then I start thinking, 
maybe I can make it back to the, uh, you know, the marina or even the house. And right about the time I thought that, I got hit with the fourth contraction. And uh, we're in full-on, you know, birth pain labor at this point. And I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it back to anywhere. I'm going to have to go take care of business in the marsh with paying customers on the boat. And I have this feeling of I'm mortified that this that this is the reality that I'm living in right now. And I'm also in a little bit of denial. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Surely I'm just going to push I'm going to push through this. It's fine. Everything's going to be fine. And, but my stomach won't stop hurting. And I've just got that like feeling now where I cannot continue to just think about this. I need to take some steps, uh, in the right direction to, uh, to alleviate this situation or else I'm going to, uh, have a bigger problem on my hands. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm assuming most all of you who are listening to this podcast have been in the marsh before. There's no trees in the marsh. There's nowhere to hide in the marsh. If you have to take a dump in the marsh, what whatever and whoever is out there, they're going to see you, okay? So I've got a 10-year-old boy and his dad on the boat that are paying me for this trip. Okay. So I start pulling towards an island because I'm like, that's the island that this is going to have to happen on because it's the island that I'm closest to. And I'm trying to keep my cool and I'm not saying a whole lot. Um, I just said, Hey Mark, listen, man, I'm sorry. I've got to find a place to handle business. Like I'm, I'm really sorry. And Mark being the the mature grown adult that he is uh just was like sure man no problem don't worry about it you know I would have roasted anyone who would have done this on my boat I would have just absolutely uh roasted them but uh Mark was super cool about it as I'm pulling toward this island I see a redfish with his back out of the water and I just can't help myself and I'm like Mark there's a redfish right there's back Mark's already casting in that direction. He lays a perfect cast down, hooks that redfish. Um, And thank God that redfish came unbuttoned because I don't know that I could have held it in for the time it would have taken to land that fish, take the pictures, do all the things right. So the tide is low low enough to where I cannot get the boat straight up next to the island to where I can just step off the boat onto the island. So I got to take my socks and shoes off, crawl off into, you know, the two or three inches of water, wade over to the island, which is about 10 feet away. And then once I'm on the island, and I'll, I'll, I have to tell Mark and his son, like, hey, if you guys don't mind giving me a little bit of privacy and like just kind of direct your attention that way, I'm going to go over here and handle business. And thank God I have a roll of toilet paper on the boat for such an occurrence. Grab the toilet paper, off I go on the island, and I want to create some space between me and them so that I can at least have the, uh, you know, 
the appearance of privacy. So I'm start. I'm walking down this island barefoot in the salt grass, uh, watching out for rattlesnakes and all the things that like to live out there. And uh, I'm looking for anywhere I can disappear into this island. And there's a spot on the end of it where the tide had gone out and the, there was just a dry spot of, of mud. Uh, where and, and it was kind of lower. You could tell it held water on a high tide. It was probably six, eight inches lower than the top part of the island. And with the salt grass there, I thought, oh, I can kind of squat down in this area and at least, you know, uh, the parts that no one wants to see may be hidden uh, beneath the salt grass. So I step off into this spot and I immediately sink up past my knees in the mud. I thought I was going to sink to China. I sunk so fast down in that mud. And I, so I'm up to mud, you know, six inches above my kneecaps. And I caught myself with my hands when I fell in the mud. And so now my left hand is caked in marsh mud and my right hand was holding the roll of toilet paper. And it is now caked the toilet paper roll is caked in marsh mud. And so I'm like, oh, God, what am I going to do about this? But I, it's, it's too late. Like I've already, I've already initiated the launch sequence. So like I've already kind of told my body it's go time. You know, you're finally going to get to release this pressure valve. And so I don't have time to fix this predicament. I just have to get my shorts down as fast as I can, and there's almost nowhere to pull my shorts because I'm up past my knees in mud. So I like shimmy my shorts down to to the mud line, and I've got mud on my thighs now. I've got mud, marsh mud in my underwear, and I just got to take care of business right then and there. So take care of business and get done with that and now i'm stuck in the mud uh because if you've ever waited and gotten deep down in some mud like that you know the longer you sit in that mud the harder it is to get out and so uh i'm wiggling squirming trying to trying to get out and i'm struggling and I get to a point of not complete desperation, but kind of one of those points where I start to think like, I may need help to get out of this mud. And then I thought, if I have to call for Mark to come over here and pull me out of the mud, like just the whole sight that he's going to wonder upon is not a pretty picture, okay? So... I don't want that to happen. So I end up twisting my body around and I'm grabbing at the roots of the salt grass to leverage, to gain some leverage so I can kick and wiggle and and get myself out of this mud. Finally, break free of the mud, crawl out, walk back to the boat with both hands covered in mud, mud all the way up both of my legs. And, uh, and Mark, Mark just looks at me with this puzzled look like, are you okay? And I'm like, ooh, that mud over there is deep, bro. 
it's deep. So I wash. Uh, I sit down on the side of the of the gunnel of the boat. I wash all of the mud off of me. Pretty much have to bathe in the marsh to get all the mud off. I get back up on the platform. I'm like, all right, here we go. I and then I can't pull the boat. I had to pull the boat into an area I would not normally have pulled the boat on such a low tide, but I, it was my nearest, you know, access to land, and so that's where I, that's where I pulled it. So I didn't realize that I was going to be stuck. So I, I get I get back on there and I start to spin the boat around, and now I'm stuck. Now I got to get out of the boat again and get my get my feet muddy again. Can't get it unstuck. Have to get Mark the paying customer to get out of the boat and help me push the boat off. So so this poor fella has paid for a guide to take him and his son out fishing. And so far the guide has had to uh abandon the vessel to go uh take care of some bodily function business on the island. Uh and then Tate had to take 10 minutes to bathe and get all the mud off of him and then got the boat stuck in the mud and had to have him, the paying customer, get out and help push the boat off. Um, and so things are not going well. Meanwhile, his son is in, insanely bored out of his mind. And I don't blame him because he's been doing nothing but sitting in a place that didn't have a a great opportunity to fish in because I just parked it up in the mud and bailed as fast as I could, right? So I get back on the boat and I'm thinking, man, if I can just, it's it's about 745. We got 45 minutes until this school is going to break off. And I'm like, man, if I can just keep, uh, keep some entertainment up, until that happens, then then we we're gonna be okay. But it was obvious to me that the show is over for this young man. He needs something to re-engage him in this process. We're not gonna be able to chase this school of redfish. I because it was a gamble. If I had waited and that school didn't come alive or they waited till nine o'clock to come alive. We burned the whole morning up there and I don't, I just don't know how that was going to go. So I made the decision to go back to the Marina, pick up some live shrimp and do the popping cork thing. So get to the Marina. I've still got the tummy troubles. I got to go to, I got to go to the bathroom again for another 15 minutes, get the bait, uh, come back to the boat and we go popping cork fishing. And we end up catching, we had had uh, a redfish in the boat, a redfish on that came off and a flounder, right? And and the boy had caught the flounder, right? So my goal now is to get more fish on the end of the line of this young man. So we go out and uh, he's throwing the popping cork. He's doing pretty good. Um, but I realized he's more interested in the shrimp in the bucket, right? normal kid thing. He wants to play with the shrimp. So I do the whole thing where I throw the line out, pop, 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 court goes under. And I'm like, Hey bud, uh, hold this pole for me real quick. And as soon as I give him the pole, I'm like, Oh look, your cork went under. And he sets the hook and he catches a fish. He caught two redfish that way. And one 
No, he caught two redfish and two gaff top that way. So uh, he had four fish in the boat after that, plus the flounder that he caught earlier. And um, I think that Mark caught a few on the popping cork as well. And so we ended up, you know, finishing the day on a good note. But I uh, I heavily discounted uh, this gentleman's trip because I just felt like um, he had had a crappy time. So... So that's that. That's my story. So let's get into uh, let's get into our Bible tidbit uh, for the week. We are going to be in Psalm eighty four. Psalm eighty four is my favorite psalm in all of the Psalms of the Bible, and uh, one of the reasons for that is that uh, it has a verse. And that verse is, uh, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of the wicked. Meaning, I would rather be like the butler. I'd re- rather be like the uh, the guard at the door, like outside, not even getting to participate in the party than I w- at the house of the Lord than I would uh, be able to just participate in all the parties in the tents of the wicked, right? So I really like that verse, but there was a part of that psalm that I didn't understand, and so I did some research on it, and I thought it was pretty cool what I found, and so I'm going to tell you guys. Psalm 84, I'm not going to read the whole thing to you, but I do encourage you to read it for yourself. I'm going to read this one little part, verse 5 on down to... uh, the end of verse 7. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Zion is... Uh, not only a place, but a biblical metaphor for the presence of the Lord, okay, where the Lord dwells. Um, Mount Zion in Jerusalem was considered to be that place. Uh, the Valley of Baca may or may not have been a literal place. Some scholars believe that it was. They believe that it went by other names like the Valley of Rephraim or the Valley of Acre. Could be. Uh, the reason they believe that is because those valleys were noted, uh, at least I think the Valley of Acre specifically was noted, um, I think in the book of Kings, I'm just going off memory, that uh, they had basalm trees. Uh, the word baka uh, was a Hebrew verb for weeping. And so the Valley of Baca was called that because it had balsam trees, which weeped, uh, had a weeping of their sap. They, uh, when they exuded this sap, it looked like they, they were dripping it, they're weeping. And so it also was, uh, those trees typically grew in dry, arid locations. Uh, the Valley of Baca was assumed to have been a rough terrain area without a lot of natural water. And that's why you get the, uh, the reference to the early rains, make it a place of, of pools, right? 
So it was intended here in this psalm to be a, a, a place that they would journey through on their way to Jerusalem, on their way to Mount Zion. This is both uh, a figurative and a literal uh, alluding in this passage. So they're saying, look, these exiles um, are that have been exiled are making their way back, journeying back to Jerusalem. Or maybe they, before the exile, they're just journeying from the outlying areas into Jerusalem to worship the Lord because that at the time was where the presence of the Lord dwelt. It's where the worship of the Lord happened. And so it could be a rough uh, journey. And on that journey, their hearts full of joy and gladness to be in the presence of the Lord would turn that valley of weeping into uh, a place of of joy, a spring. Uh, The early rains would cover it with pools. That's what that, uh, that scripture means in the literal sense. And in the figurative sense, it means, hey, we are all on a journey headed toward the presence of the Lord in eternity. And as we pass through areas that are dry with rough terrain, um, tough patches in our life, struggles, sufferings that we go through, our joy in the Lord and our hope for His presence um, makes those places a spring. It makes, uh, it makes those places be covered in pools by the early rains, um, if that makes sense. So that's your Bible tidbit for the week. Go read Psalm 84. I love that psalm. It's my favorite. Uh, and that's about it. So I hope that you enjoyed the episode with Drew Turner. We talked about all things fishing rods. Uh, Drew is going to be down at the Matagorda Heroes on the Water event on September 2nd at Matagorda Outfitters. I believe it starts around 10 a.m. Go down there and say hi to him. Uh, If I can make it, I will, but I think I'm on kid duty that day because it's football season. Aggies are going to play, which means my wife is going to the Aggie game with her dad, and I am stuck with the kids, so uh, at least some of the kids. So go down there and check that out. I'm uh, going to be doing some more stuff with uh, with my buddy Drew. And if you would like to send me an email and tell me what a great job or not so great job I'm doing on the podcast, or if you have any kind of question, uh, you can go to stringers at gmail. That's the best way to get a hold of me. If you would like to book a trip with me, a guided trip, go to capped mattparish.com. That's two T's on Matt, two R's on Parish, P-A-R-R-I-S-H.com. Check that out. I still got some availability in the fall. Go snag a date. If you have a question about who you're bringing, what you're doing, anything like that, uh, I answer some of those questions on the website, but you can always reach out to me via Instagram or email. My Instagram is empty underscore stringers. My TikTok is empty stringers. And uh, the Facebooks is the empty stringers podcast. So do all that. Check it out. All the music on the podcast is made uh, and written by myself and Justin Lofton and our band Market Junction. So you can check us out on Spotify. We're out there. Hope you guys have a great week. And we'll talk to you next time.